this time, uh, this children, kindergarten and under may go to We Worship. In the back, I think Hunter and Caroline will be there uh, with you. We ask that you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It is time for a test. I don't know if that has an emotional reaction to you when I say that. It depends on how long it's been since you've been in school. uh, Whether that has an emotional response. Um, I was able to to do that uh, recently in teaching a class and gave them fair warning, but they were still faces of panic uh, in uh, the class as I shared that because there's few things that are terrifying, perhaps as a test. But yet, tests are sorely needed in our lives. Uh, there needs to be a testing of the authenticity of information given to us. Uh, it was just maybe a few weeks ago we were working with uh, one of the young ladies that's in our preschool and they needed some help with a car, took it to a mechanic and the mechanic, in fact a couple of mechanics said uh, this is going to cost about 1000 to $2,000 to replace, uh, to change out all the oil lines, there's an oil leak somewhere in here, it's your turbo, it's all messed up and uh, we were with her and panicking uh, knowing that that was not something that she could afford and Finally, we went to one more mechanic, and the mechanic said, it's not that at all, guys, and, uh, and shared more information that once looked like a $1,500 bill, now was instead of more like four to $500. Uh, you see the value of, importing, of verifying authenticity of the information given to you. How much more, not just those things that have a financial cost, but have a spiritual cost. To test what you're listening to, the nature of it, those things that give you guidance and direction that you're depending on. John, all, all the early uh, writers, early tradition of the church is unanimous that John, the apostle, is the author of First John, though it's never stated uh, in that, but the, some, the style of it as well as all the other verification is that John wrote First John, uh, the, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, the one who was the brother of James and the inner three with Jesus. And at this time, late in his life, uh, is the pastor, what tradition tells us, of Ephesus. Uh, and there, there is this emphasis of love. Interesting enough, uh, you see in Revelation, John's also writing, that the warning that Jesus gives to the church of Ephesus is that they have lost their first love. And yet you see the theme throughout 1 John, as well as in the Gospel of John, is about love. It is thought that at this time that John is writing this, that there are some false teaching that is being spread throughout the churches and so John is writing this to counteract what is being taught and so in it you'll see three tests for believers 
Now, that's not what I'm going to talk about today, even, even though I use that word test. This is what you're reading as you're reading through um, the uh, church plan, reading through 1 John, 2nd, 3rd John. Um, you're going to find in 1 John a test of your salvation is given. How do you know you're a follower of Christ? And the three tests that John gives us as you read and repeated in 1 John is that you obey. Uh, that you obey. That you love others. And that you remain in Christ. Those three. Obey, love others, and remain in Christ. And that is how uh, John's teaching us that we know that we are in Christ. These three attributes will be a part of who we are. But then he goes into chapter 4 and says, hey, by the way, you need to know what you're listening to. Uh, what your heart and mind is focused on. What is the test of the nature of the teaching? Uh, and so really as we look in 1 John chapter 4, uh, we're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 6. But I'll probably just keep on reading uh, maybe through verse 10 because it's so good. Um, and I want you just to hear some of these things. And so if you'll just stand in honor of this being God's word, if you'll stand as we read it, if you read silently as I read aloud. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not Love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we may, might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You may be seated. A young man by the name of Christopher Edwards graduated from Yale University in the summer of 1975, a long time ago. He enrolled at Berkeley to pursue a master's degree. While there, he was approached by a stranger who offered him a fun weekend at a local farm. What he didn't realize was that this was just a front for Sun Young Moon's Unification Church, which was in Berkeley. He went, and the fun weekend turned into seven and a half months of maddening brainwashing. He was changed from a clear-thinking, brilliant, astute person into a subservient disciple of this 
new Messiah, depended on his leaders for every move, ready and willing to die or even kill to restore the world under the absolute rule of Reverend Moon. His father kidnapped him, and they had to go through a year of deep programming and therapy until a specialist in cult-related problems helped him. He wrote a book called Crazy for God. You hear stories like this. I remember even as a child seeing guys selling flowers on the roadside and asking dad, who are those? Oh, they're Moonies. Like, okay. (laughs) Not realizing exactly what Moonies were are the multitude of other groups and people out there that are claiming a word from God. One of the things I taught and teach in the day of growth class when you uh, join our church is we talk about the importance of revelation that you can only know so much through your senses and observation, reason, tradition. It only carries you so far. And so for those of us who are people of faith, we believe not just by reason and by our senses and observation, but we believe by something called revelation. And the only problem that is in this world, there are a lot of things that claim to be revelation. And God has called us to use our brains to determine what things that claim to be revelation really are coming from God. And that is John's focus here. What really comes from God? Even as I say that, I I get that this is a very counter message because what I'm claiming and what the Scripture is claiming, more importantly, is that there is a right and a wrong. And that's just not very popular today. It's not PC. And, and not only am I saying that there's a right and a wrong, that this right is excluding the wrong. I, the scripture is actually saying, and John is saying, that there is a revelation from God that excludes other things that claim to be a revelation from God. And that just doesn't fly in the universities and the popular places of today. You've often heard, and I remember hearing this in college, is, is that you know, all roads point to God, right? It doesn't really matter which path you go because there's so many things in common like love people. I mean, that, you know, that fits in across the board. And they use the little metaphor of, uh, you know, several blind people coming and trying to figure out an elephant and figuring out what this is, an elephant, by feeling and touching. And someone will have a trunk and say, hey, this is a long, flexible thing. Uh, and the other one will hold onto a leg and say, this is a big, sturdy thing. Uh, that's vertical or you know, upstanding. Someone will touch the side of the elephant and say, this is a wide, massive thing. And, and then they all have these, these pictures and they say, well, they, they can't ever see the complete truth of the elephant, so they're all right. But in this little metaphor, that what's not said is that someone sees this whole drama take place. Someone sees that everyone's blind. Someone is seeing that, there, that there's an elephant and, everyone, and there, there's this all-knowing person and that happens to be the storyteller of this parable. That, hey, you guys that are so blind and narrow-focused and thinking there's just this way, well, what you don't know is that there's a lot of ways and all of you are blind and there's this big elephant. And, and, and what kind of is lost on the storytellers, do you not see the assertion you're making? That you are doing the very thing that you're condemning everyone else for by making this assertion of, of I know what's going on, and you poor you, if 
you could just get along with me and just take on to this point of view. And so consequently, we'll, we'll say, hey, you know, you can keep your faith if you want to, but because there's a pluralistic society, you just need to keep your faith in your home. Maybe take it to church, but don't dare take it to the workplace. Don't take it out in life. Keep it private. That itself is assertive statement it is a statement of faith even to make that and so the question really is which morality which faith statement is going to prevail in the public world and so that's the world we live in and yet john says hey there's teaching that's not from god and there's teaching from god and i want to give you a few things to help you discern the difference so with that thought in mind what does the text say to determine the source? How can we turn if it's, determine if it's godly or worldly? Keep in mind, he's writing to people who are claiming to be in the household of faith. He's writing to people who are in church, and he's cautioning them that there's some false teaching that's in, not just in the Roman world, but in the church world. So keep that in mind, that as we read these things and look at this, they also infiltrate the church culture here in America. Vance Havner was the one who said that the only thing that receives everything that comes to it is a trash can. All right? Thought of the mind is there needs to be a filter. There needs to be a filter in thinking through what comes to us. So what's this filter? We see this specifically in verses 1 through 3, and that the first test of spiritual teaching is what's called the confession of Christ. The confession of Christ. And so to acknowledge Jesus is to have an unwavering confession. And so this approval that's being said here to test the spirits and to approve is, is the word that's kind of like a, was a metalsmith type of word uh, in that Roman era where they would see a, a metal or a coin and if it was of the right uh, value and the right source of origin, they would put a stamp of approval on this idea. And so John is saying, hey, you need to understand what's coming at you. There needs to be a stamp of approval, and make sure that stamp of approval has the right criteria. The right criteria is this idea of confession of Christ. So what's being said here as we read this? We look at this uh, in verse 2. One, he's saying, hey, the spirit of the false prophets, the Antichrist, is already among us. We see the same idea by Paul in 1 Thessalonians. And, then, and Paul also brought out the spirit of the Antichrist is still, or is among us, and that there is a restraining one there. And it will not always be there. But then, what is this? Verse 2, every spirit that confesses that Jesus, first of all, the word Jesus, you remember, means God saves. Okay? Keep that in mind. Jesus means God saves. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Okay? I know it feels that way. That is not his last name. It is a title given to Jesus that is the prophesied one who will rule. The anointed, set apart one who who will rule rule so this one the one who will save is the one anointed to rule and then so this jesus christ has come all right think through that word has come we don't describe people that way typically we say they're born right i was born 
in 1974. I don't say I came in 1974, right? What's the difference there? If I'm saying I came in 1974, it's implying that I was existent somewhere and I have now come upon the scene. When I'm saying born, I'm not existent. I came to be. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So we're acknowledging the origin of this one who will reign and will save us. So when we think about this test of of, of confessing of Christ, we're confessing that Jesus is come from God. He's come from outside of the realm. He has come to save us. He has come to rule. And then notice what else he says, that he has come in the flesh. He has come in the flesh. Now, one of the things that's unique about the Christian faith uh, is that we're not saying that the flesh is evil that, the, that this material world is evil. We're saying that it's so loved by God that God came into this world of flesh to save it, to redeem this world. You see, we're not just those who say God's going to take us out of this world. We're also those who say God is going to redeem this world, who will fix this world. And so we join in, not in just an escapist mentality, but we join in with a redeeming mindset. God changed the world around us and use us. Use us. And so when we talk about what's being confessed, confessed, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. We're talking about the origin of Jesus. This is from God. We're going to talk about the purpose. What has he done? He's come in the flesh to save the world. And then the nature of this. How does this happen? The fact that Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God. Jesus Christ, God has come to save us and reign through his flesh. Who did he come to save? Everyone who needed to be saved. Not those who were deemed worthy of being saved. You see the difference between that? Those who needed to be saved, not those who were deemed worthy of being saved. And so when he came in the flesh, he came at John 1, and the, and the apostle, or the gospel of John, John writes, He came to his own, but his own received him not. The world was made by him. And he came into the world, but the world knew him not. And so, what that lets me know, and this is where we go down and read verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, is the nature of this salvation is that God loved me, and God loved you. He didn't ask you to prove your worth. He said, your worth is in me. Not that you loved me, but that I loved you. Those who believe and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That this is outside of God, that he has come in humanity to save and to reign because he loved us. Because he loved us. This is the confession of Christ. Spiritual teaching that wraps itself fundamentally around these truths. God's come to save. 
He's come to reign. He's come in the flesh because he loved us. That is of Christ. I think it's helpful to see how short that is. How short. He doesn't add anything else. He's like, this is it. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Does not confess that God saves. Does not confess that he came in the flesh is not from God. It is popular, unfortunately, among some in our circles today of this idea of deconstruction. Faith being deconstructed, and it happens little bit by little bit, usually beginning around the Word of God. Before you know it, they come to the end conclusion that Jesus is not from God, if Jesus existed. When that trend happens, it is following the tendency of the world. It is not a new phenomenon. It is the spirit of this world. This was happening in John's day as he writes this. And he says, you just need to know what is the source of this. Either from God or not from God, which means that is of this world of Satan himself. So we keep on reading uh, as we think through, in the Old Testament, there was in Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, that when a prophecy came true, then that you knew it was from God. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, that the prophecy had to lead to Christ. And so there was a two, um, two-pronged test. The prophecies came true, and that it led to God, led it to God uh, in faith and trust in God. And if, if any prophecy deviated from this, then it was not from God, but was from this world. So John now adds to the Old Testament prophecy and say, hey, specifically, it's about Jesus Christ. And that is why, as a church, it is not enough for us to take a generic view of God. And our worship, we're not just singing about the God of the city. All right? Our worship must be of Jesus. And that is why we're singing the songs that we're singing. That is why we're going through the process of adoring God, confessing our sin, trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether through song or through message, because apart from that, it is not of focused on Christ. And so it's not enough for us to be God's, just God. It also must be confessing Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, coming to redeem us. Now, the second test of spiritual teaching isn't just the confession of Christ, but is the character of Christ in the audience as well as in the speaker. The character of Christ in the audience as well as in the speaker. You see this in verse 4 and 6 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's a great verse to, to highlight right there. Memorize that. It is an encouragement to your soul when you remember that you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Who's they? 
the ones that are listening to this teaching and the ones teaching this, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them, the audience. We are from God, whoever knows God listens to us, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so there's a, a value in detecting and discerning the spirit of the teacher and the spirit of the audience, all right? So it's not just what's being taught, but the manner the, the, the temperature, uh, the motives that dominate, uh, the emotion that is there, the tone. Is it of the world or of God? I remember when my first year in college, um, I went to, a, um, uh, I guess, a club for no, no other definition or word for it. And there they were showing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. All right, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm reading your faces to see if any of you know what I'm talking about. There's a few of you who do. All right, I had no idea Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like some friends are saying, you want to go? I was like, okay, sure. I knew I was in trouble when I first came in. You laughing? No. Because if you go into a group audience of a, a, a crowd watching Rocky Horror Picture Show, People are dressed weird. I'm like, normal folks, you think, but they got capes on. God dressed like a girl, just like, what? And you're just like, what? What am I in? And they start showing the movie, and like, half the people start quoting the movie. I mean, not just to themselves. They're like standing up, talking. And they're acting out, a terrible movie. <laughs> like, what world have I gone into? And as I watched the movie, I quickly was repulsed and thinking, ah, I don't want, I don't want this. Because if it makes me look like them, <laughs> some of you, some of you are acting these things out. I know y'all, t- you'll tell me later on. Um, it's a terrible movie, but you, you know the nature of it by the audience and the spirit of it their mood when we look at this what is the the character of this audience that they have an enthusiasm to listen to things that are not proclaiming god loves you and sent his son to die for you and it's of god it is a revelation not made from man, but is made from God, and it's something that is forming us and making us. And there is a truth about it, and there is consequently a wrong about anything other. And that message is not received by the world. The world would say, hey, be proud of yourself, and let, let you prove yourself so that God is impressed with you. It will follow the fruit of the world versus the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so you'll see these spirits, these adjectives being pushed and a culture that is glorifying and lifting these things up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And I would dare say the Spirit of Christ of humility, that these are some attributes that are going to be flowing out of this group because it's the the work of christ and so when you see and and listen just because someone says to you 
look, you need to read this, you need to listen to this because it just blessed me so. That isn't necessarily a trump card that says don't, don't listen critically. Just because someone says it blesses them doesn't mean that it's of the Lord. Just because it's popular in the particular Christian subculture we live here in Nightdale and Raleigh and people are flocking doesn't mean necessarily that it's of the Lord. This is where we get our Bibles out and we read and we look carefully at what we see. And this is true of me. It's true of anyone else that says, thus says the Lord. John is saying, hey, we have to be careful. But be encouraged that the Spirit of God is in you, and greater is He that is in you than he who is in the world. So that verse 4 just shines a beautiful light in us to know there is a Spirit of God, the same one who brought God into flesh, is now residing within me and helps me through the Word of God to discern And so we are not left helpless in this task of everything that claims to be a revelation. And this is why it's so critical for us to have the Spirit of God in our life, to be surrendered and trusting in Jesus Christ. I think about this, and uh, we shared the stories of Solomon uh, among the the ye minority people um, and how he came to faith. And in coming to faith through uh, some people that uh, came from this church and, and, and how he came to faith. And, and then he started sharing with his family. And being in that time among that minority people group, there were these uh, who were shamans and did not like what Solomon was teaching. And so cursed Solomon and said that in three days he would die. And all the villages was waiting there uh, in this area, waiting to see what would happen. And after three days, Solomon says, I'm good. Jeremy asked Solomon about it and said, were you scared? He said, well, you said that Jesus rose again from the dead, right? He's like, yeah. (laughs) Why do I have to be afraid? (laughs) I worship a risen Savior that death cannot kill him. And you said that his spirit is in my life. Why should I be afraid of the curses of the shaman? This was the thought of John G. Patton, a Scottish missionary in the South Sea Islands who was hated by the people he was ministering to. Hostile, known to be cannibals. One time, three witch doctors claiming to have the power to cause death publicly declared their intentions to kill Patton with their sorcery before the next Sunday. To carry out their threat, they said that they needed some food he had partially eaten. Patton asked for three plums. He took about a bite out of each and gave it to the men who were plotting his death on Sunday. The missionary entered the village with a smile on his face and a spring and a step. The people looked at each other in amazement, thinking it couldn't possibly be this Patton. Their sacred men admitted that they had carried out all their incantations to kill him. When asked why they had failed, they replied, This man was a sacred man like themselves, but that his God was stronger than theirs. In this world, there is a Satan, a prince of peace. We see this in Ephesians 2, 
Verse 2, he has come to still kill and destroy. But yet in John 8, 47, Jesus said, he belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. We are to be people of the word of God. To know and to listen and discern. Just because it's published by Lifeway, just because it's coming out in Christian presses and it's on Christian radio, and other believers that you know are loving it and hearing it and say, hey, you really need to check this out. Notice the fruit of the Spirit. Is there humility or pride? Is it love or bitterness? Is it joy or anger? Is there patience about it? Is there a kindness about it? Or is there a hostility about it? Discern the fruit of the Spirit. At the core is that this message, you know, we're all messed up, but God loves you anyway. And you can't earn his love. He's given it to you freely. And he loves you so much that God stepped into time, stepped into flesh to redeem your flesh and my flesh, to redeem this world. And Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And this is of God. This world wants strongly to have a pragmatic ethic to determine the pluralistic view of this world. But there has been one over the last 2,000 years of the Christian faith when it's the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. It teaches the adherents to say, love your enemies because of the love of Jesus Christ. Yes, there's a right and wrong. But just because there's a wrong, there's no excuse not to love them. Every other power system that we're seeing in place, including the so-called love everyone without having the resources to love your enemy, only ends in tyranny. We're seeing that in the sexual ethics. When we say, the only thing that matters is that you love. But they don't have it within them to know how to love their enemy. And so it becomes a tyranny. It's the only one we've seen over history, but that's not why we acknowledge Jesus Christ as God. Yes, it's pragmatic. But we acknowledge Jesus Christ as God. Because God has revealed himself. And there are those who witnessed it. And they've passed on this word to us. And in it, God has said, you're messed up, you're broken, but I love you. I sent my son. And you can know me through him. And if you only acknowledge him as Lord and your Savior, then I will give your, his, my spirit to you. And you'll become with me. And as we've learned, there is a day and time when this world will be set right. Until that time, test the spirits and pursue hard that which you know is of God.
pursue hard that which is of God because God is pursuing hard after you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word because we know that the spirit of this world, the spirit of Satan himself, is deceitful, clever, and we are so prone to believe a lie. Father, that even when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, we raise objections because it's so different from what we know in this world. How could you love us in this way? How could we not do something to make you love us more? And surely you are tired of us because of our constant failures. But Lord, as we read your word, it is not the message that you have proclaimed. We are so quick to disbelieve it. But Lord, you have shared that what matters is that you have come in the flesh. You have come to save. You have come to reign through Jesus. Lord, give us discerning eyes. Lord, help us to hold fast to you. For you are holding, holding fast to us. And so, Lord, we want to remember that in a way that you've asked us to remember it. Through the, the bread, the body of Jesus, and the cup, the blood of your son Jesus. So, Lord, we will do that gladly. We pray this in your name.